Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Uh, next week will mark six months since Russia invaded Ukraine. And so the fact that we're still here six months later talking about this, talking about the setbacks Russia has encountered in its invasion, I suppose is encouraging. But this has all been pretty devastating uh, for Ukraine and its population. And next week also will mark uh, the anniversary of Ukraine's independence. As our next guest notes, Canada was the first Western country to recognize Ukraine as an independent country in 1991. But lately it feels like maybe we've been letting Ukraine down, whether it's the Russian turbine situation, uh, having a, a, Rus- a Canadian official attend this party of the Russian embassy, uh, what we've learned about the situation of Canada's embassy in Kiev and how we dealt with local staff there. Uh, we've, we've been living up to our, our commitments and our promises to Ukraine. Interesting op-ed in the Globe and Mail this week, making the case that Canada is indeed falling short on its promises to Ukraine. Joining us to talk more about all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, Michael Bosick, a senior fellow with the Atlantic Council, global affairs analyst, as mentioned. Uh, you can find his piece up at theglobeandmail.com. Michael, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Uh, good to be with you, especially because uh, Edmonton is my birthplace, so <laughs> I consider it still my home province. Well, yeah, yeah, and I, I, yeah. I mean, it's certainly a large expat community uh, in in Edmonton, in particular, in Alberta, and I think Indeed. you know there's yep. there's a close relationship there. You know, you mentioned in your piece, obviously, you know, and Canada was was there for Ukraine in 1991, one of the first Western countries to to recognize yep. Ukraine's independence. So we do have a, a historical relationship on many fronts, but. What's your assessment of where things are at now between our two countries? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it kind of boggles the mind because, as you mentioned, I mentioned in the Globe and Mail piece, is that we were the first Western country to recognize Ukrainian independence. It'll be 31 years uh, a week from today and also the six-month mark of the war. And yet, um, you know, when I look back over the Trudeau government's response, they seem to have bungled at almost every step of the way, starting with the lateness of delivering lethal weapons to Ukraine. I mean, President Zelensky was begging, begging Western allies to get those uh, lethal weapons over here. Finally, the Trudeau government realized, I think, that sanctions aren't as sharp as a tool uh, for someone like Mr. Putin, that we need to send lethal weaponry. And by the way, there's um, they're waiting at the moment for almost 40 of those super bisons. These are Canadian manufactured armored personnel carriers that are going to have a real big impact here. And also some high definition cameras for those Bayekter drones. So that is good that those things are moving. And then, you know, the other things that have happened, um, you know, the early uh, evacuation of our diplomats from Kiev and then Lviv, and then also the lateness of their return. And to this day, and I was there just a few days ago, our Canadian embassy remains shuttered. So that means folks like me, there's a growing Canadian community here. People are coming back. You know, if we need emergency consular assistance, that will be difficult. But also, You know, there are a lot of Ukrainians who have applied for those emergency visas to come to Canada. 
a huge backlog has formed and people are waiting three months, four months now. And, you know, there are, there are a lot of people here who are very dire circumstances that are waiting to come to Canada. Finally, yeah, the, the, the situation over the turbines, I think um, Putin pulled a fast one over with that one. And uh, the Russian embassy um, event where Global Affairs Canada was present. And then finally, I think we're one of the few Western nations left which hasn't expelled any Russian diplomats. You can't tell me that they're all in Canada doing uh, straight diplomatic work. Uh, so that's kind of an odd um, position to be in as well. Right. Yeah, you know, and look, I mean, it seemed like a powerful symbol when, you know, the prime minister visited Kiev, was there to personally reopen the embassy. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe that was just a, a photo op or, or just symbolic because, you know, as, as you described, what, what's going on at the embassy now? What's there? Yeah, um, well, you can't, you know, I, I'm told that um, our diplomats are working off-site, whatever that means. And, you know, I mentioned in the Globe piece that the new newly installed U.S. ambassador is all over the place right now. She's meeting with civil society groups. She's meeting with government officials very publicly, whereas um, our ambassador, and I respect her, she's a friend, but we haven't seen much of her except uh, two or three weeks ago in Odessa with the G7 ambassadors. So um, that to me um, is, is a bit strange uh, because I think also it's very important symbolically that we show Ukrainians, we, as Trudeau likes to stay, say, we stand shoulder to shoulder with them. Look, above and beyond that, the other thing we can do by showing our leadership is, for example, we could um, we the, lead the Western charge to, for example, declare Russia a state sponsor of terrorism. Um, we could lead by tightening sanctions even further. And um, there's also talk, you know, of denying Russians uh, visas. So we could partner with our G7 and EU allies to make that a formal policy. And there's an important point to be made here. The folks in Russia with the access to travel passports, those are the ones, the elites around uh, Mr. Putin. These are the upper middle class in places like St. Petersburg and Moscow. I don't think it's going to hit the average Russian very hard. So that's why that is also a very important stop. Now, in terms of the relationship between our two countries, and, and I think, you know, President Zelensky recognizes the importance of, of having mm -hmm. a coalition behind him. Uh, and so he's been polite, I, I think, in, yeah. in dealing with some of these issues. But the turbines issue, I think he was a little more blunt in, in criticizing Canada. What, what's your sense of the tension that, that exists there? Yeah, well, I think for the Ukrainians, that was a bridge too far. You're right. They tend to be very polite. In fact, uh, Ukraine's new ambassador to Canada was pretty polite as well. They realized that, um, uh, you know, that uh, there's a large Ukrainian community in Canada, that Canada has been a friend for a long time. But, you know, I think I wrote in the Globe piece, in the past six months, Canada has done more to not only anger Ukraine, but also anger the large Ukrainian community in Canada. You now have the Ukrainian World Congress and um, uh, Danilo Bilak, a prominent Ukrainian-Canadian lawyer, suing the federal government to halt uh, those turbines from going back to Russia. Why? Because that would only assist Mr. Putin in weaponizing energy even further. And, you know, we did return, Canada did return that one turbine. And then what did Putin go say? He says, well, we can't take it anymore because it's too complicated. So I think we got hoodwinked uh, pretty badly there. Um, it just, I, I think the other factor here that worked probably behind the scenes, 
Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie is from Quebec. These turbines were being repaired there. Yeah. According to a Global Affairs memo um, for consideration, jobs were a consideration there. So, um, but you know what? Sometimes we have to um, bite the bullet, stand up for our values, because if we don't, if we don't uh, challenge Mr. Putin on our, our own terms when we can, he will do it for us. And what I mean is he will expand even further. He will try to push NATO, the NATO eastern flank even further. Um, we're already feeling globally the consequences of his uh, actions. Is it still not too late, though, for a, a reset in Ottawa, you know, for Ottawa to, to get serious about all of this? Oh, absolutely. There are many things we can do. And, um, you know, uh, more sanctions, more lethal weaponry, uh, diplomats uh, making it tougher for Russians to come to Canada. And um, anyone who has gone to Toronto and now, now Vancouver, you're seeing um, something similar that's been happening in London. Wealthy uh, Russians coming there, buying property, sending their kids to school. Um, let's put some sanctions or restrictions in there on that ill-gotten Russian wealth. There's a lot of um, Russian government property, uh, uh, ill-gotten wealth, I, I suspect, in Canada and the U.S. Um, I think there's a good justification for some of that to be seized to be sold and the proceeds to go back to uh, the Ukrainian government. Uh, the other quickly thing we can do, uh, and this can happen immediately, is to, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't stop thinking about those Ukrainian locally engaged staff that worked at our embassy that were left behind. Global Affairs Canada and its cowardice abandoned them. Let's issue an apology to them and let's fast track visas for them to come to Canada to anyone who feels uh, they're in danger here because the, the, the Russians are not finished with Ukraine. They have the ability to reach deep inside any major city and those people are still under threat. Big picture, you know, six months since this invasion. I think if mm -hmm. you know, someone had said in February that, that Russia would be bogged down six months later with little to show for, for their efforts, I mean, it would have seemed quite pessimistic, but yet here we are. I mean, this, this has exacted a considerable toll on Ukraine. I think, you know, hit yep. back uh, more recently, you know, the image of Russians fleeing uh, Crimea was, was quite a powerful one. What's your sense of where things are at? Well, I mean, there is some positive news, potentially positive news. Uh, where I sit right now in Lviv tomorrow, the UN Secretary General is coming here. It'll be his second trip to Ukraine. Uh, President Erdogan of Turkey and President Zelensky. Now, it's really interesting because Turkey has deep vested interests in Ukraine. It's a Black Sea neighbor. And President Erdogan is really sinking his skin into the game here. He's basically, I think, the only interlocutor between Putin and the West that is able to talk to him, quite frankly. So that there are some positives here. I mean, he was able, along with the UN, to push Russia to open that blockade of the Black Sea and let Ukrainian grain flow to Western markets. And that's going to affect the price of goods in Canada as well, don't forget. Um, what we're hoping for tomorrow, what we'll be looking for is um, immediate steps to uh, lessen the danger from that nuclear reactor in Zaporizhia, which is under Russian control. They've parked their ammo and their weapons there. They have the staff under their control. And then thirdly and finally, a long-term path to peace. Um, I used to work with the Organization for Security Cooperation in Europe. It was led by the Turks for most of that time. And during that time, we were able to secure at least 
temporary ceasefires. So they're very good at what they do, and we're hoping that'll happen because, you know, Ukraine cannot um, continue for for much longer. The economy is really in dire straits. Mm. Um, don't get me talking about the media sector here. They're in really big pain because they don't have advertising revenue uh, coming in. And um, also, how much more human toll can Ukraine take? Uh, I live just around the corner from the so-called military church here. I got to tell you, it's heartbreaking. On some days, you have three funerals at once for slain servicemen, um, most of them very, very young. And that is happening all over Ukraine. It's so heartbreaking to see this war has to come to a stop. Absolutely. Well, we'll leave there. We mentioned your op-ed. It's up at theglobeandmail.com. Uh, folks can follow you as well on Twitter, at World Affairs Pro. Uh, Michael, really great insight. Thank you so much for making some time for us here today. Appreciate this. My pleasure. Thank you very much. All the best. Uh, so you go. Joining us uh, from Ukraine, uh, Michael Bostercue is a senior fellow with the Atlantic Council, a global affairs analyst. So some thoughts on uh, Canada's approach to all of this and, and where things go from here.